Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 271 on 271 Day. It's 271 Monday. Kind of funny how that worked out, because... We had episode 271 of Live from the Bunker this afternoon, and now here we are, 271, for the H2O podcast. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And how are you doing, sir? You're, uh, you're on, the, on the tail end of your, of your Fringe Festival projects? Well, I'm on the tail end of putting my Fringe Festival projects together and uploaded tomorrow... And the festival's not until next month. They've got a fair amount of padding time for when things are submitted and when things when the festival actually starts. So, yeah. Um, but deadlines are deadlines. You got to get things done. I hear that. You know, see, and and the fact that we both recognize that you have to get things done by a certain amount of time kind of falls into what we're talking about tonight because there are some people. What haven't delivered on stuff they're supposed to have been working on all this time. And the people, you know, everybody everybody makes hay about George R.R. R. Martin and the Winds of Winter and whatever that book is, but you're never going to get that book. But there are other projects out there that have not been finished, and it's not just books. Oh, no. We've got several projects that, have just kind of whooshed off into the wind in the in the luminiferous ether and never well, to, and, never and to be seen. There's lots of reasons for that. They can, <laughs> can can range anywhere from being the comic company went out of business, or the publisher went out of business, or the studio went out of business. That yeah. that's can kill a project or any plans for a project. Uh, box office sales or sales numbers can just not be what you want them to be. There's a particularly good series of urban fantasy novels from a very well-recognized Doctor Who author named Paul Cornell. We're never going to get the end of the series because, as he was very honest with people, you know what? The book sold okay, but not good enough for the publisher to keep publishing it. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, there's... there's it's. it's not always someone just not finishing their work. Sometimes there are mitigating circumstances. This doesn't stop these being really incredible things that you're just not going to see. And every now and again, something pops up. Every now and again, something pops up where you do get the completed version. Yeah. Uh, one of the great, one of those great uh, comic book series called Mage. And there are three 15 issue arcs and the first two 15 issue arcs were published and the story wasn't over and fans waited waited yeah. and waited and then 15 more issues came eventually but I mean it was just like we're never getting the end of this are we be patient be patient well, and and I was surprised because we were uh, we we reported on Saturday during Good Morning Multiverse. There is uh, a continuation 
uh, a resurrection, uh, uh, if you will, of fables from uh, Bill Willingham. And it's going to pick up right where they left off. And it's starting with episode, uh, issue number 151. And they're going to keep going. Uh, with Interrupted, of course, by Batman versus Bigby at the, at the middle of all of that. And um, now with it's, more Batman. Now with more Batman. Well, he says Willingham says it's something that he's been wanting to do since Fables first started, since he since he began the series of of, of stories uh, to cross it over into uh, the the regular DC universe. And so this is an opportunity for him to do that. It's a six issue miniseries that's going to kick off in September, and then next year we've got. Fables number 151, and they're going to pick back up right where they left off and keep going, and who knows how long it's going to be. Uh, this is not the first time uh, Willingham will uh, have had a series that he started and didn't complete. It's great that he's getting a chance to come back to it. Yeah. But for a lot of comic book fans, Bill Willingham, your first exposure to Bill Willingham was in the 1980s with a series called uh, Elementals. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it was, at the time, something you didn't have a lot of in comic books it was a series where comic book and horror tropes were deconstructed treated as if they were real traumatizing experiences all stuff that we're used to now in storytelling right um but at the time in this period in the 80s and early 90s uh it was not that's not what you're getting from comic books uh and so it was and of course, it was also geared a little more towards adult. There was a lot more violence and a lot more, and a fair amount of nudity for the time. Um, but it was a series. Uh, I mean, cast your mind back to the comic company Comico, and the fact mm. that you don't, rec- you may not recognize that name, could tell you part of the reason why we never got the end of the series. Uh, also, Willingham, uh, either, and I can't remember which which it is, either got tired of writing the series because he was both writing and drawing it. Uh, and uh, anybody who does, who writes and draws comics knows that's a lot of work. Oh yeah. And keeping on his schedule was tiring, but the series continued for a while without him. Then Comico went out of business. And then the, I understand the rights are still bouncing around somewhere out there in the world. Um, but quite frankly, the best, stories were like the first 24 issues where he was doing all the work. Yeah. So it's kind of like Buckaroo Banzai. Hmm? It's kind of like Buckaroo Banzai where you, you, we're never going to get the world crime league, even though we keep hearing about it. No matter how much we beg, no matter how much we say, no, really we'll be good. Yes. We uh, and 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 you know the the TV series we were going to get a TV series for a while and that that fizzled out. Um, they were working on possibly bringing back and doing a movie and that died pretty quick. And uh, I, I we're never going to get another Buckaroo Bond. Well, and that's an example of of how the rights to something can just be. One of these days we should do an episode all about. Um, we should get, uh, we should get an entertainment lawyer in, and we should sit there and, and have the 
okay, this is why the thing you really want is never going to happen. Yeah. Because the entertainment law rights, and that, cause that's one of the things that, that uh, it's really, really easy for people to hear stories about the law and not understand what's going on. The, the, quite frankly, we, I think everyone is guilty of, I want the law to be what I want it to be versus what it is. Sure. <laughs> and, then, and when it comes to things like contract law and, and rights and all this stuff for this, for our entertainment, it can get really frustrating because you look, all you have to do is look at something like the fight between um, Todd McFarlane and, and Neil Gaiman over the rights to the characters that Gaiman created uh, for McFarland or look at Buckaroo Banzai or look at, um, you know, what part of the reasons Alan Moore doesn't write for comics anymore is because, you know, the rights to the characters he created not used in the way that he particularly wants them to be used. But did he create them really? Well, I think when you're looking at something like Watchmen, I think you can argue very strongly that, yes, he did. In the same way, you could argue that uh, Bob Kane and, and Bill Finger created Batman, even though the shadow already existed. Well, yeah, there is that. That Buck Rogers uh, was an original creation, even though John Carter already existed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, and, and the, other, the other part of that, too, is um, you've got to go back and, and figure that any kind of a derivative work where you have something like a John Carter, for example, or, or anything like that in a, in a filmed media, especially, um, the, the, the projects are always at the mercy of the studio executives. Jupiter's legacy is the latest example of that where office politics, just as much as anything else, plays into um, what's going on because behind the scenes you have budget overruns, you have executives changing in the in the network. So the quickest way to get a project killed is a new executive team to come in and looks at the previous executive because quite frankly, yeah. and this is this sounds awful, but think about it from a purely psychological standpoint. You're the new person you'd come in to run things. The last thing in the world you're in your mind is let me continue what the guy who doesn't have this job anymore was doing. Yeah. Well, and, and you want right or, right or wrong. You, you also have that where it's okay. If this is successful, it's not my success. It's, it's the other guy's success this is the guy I replaced success. So if they were so successful, why aren't they still here? Yeah, Why exactly. Exactly. Um, well, so and it, I, I think on the fan end, but on the on the internal politics business end, it makes sense. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not it's not you know cool for us, but it makes sense. Well, and and you talk about uh, rights and stuff. I mean, you look at what happened with Marvel Man for forever, and you know now you've got. Captain Marvel and Captain Marvel and Marvel Man and all of that, and Miracle Man and all all of those, all of that mess. I Ooh. like the idea of bringing in an entertainment lawyer to talk about rights because that's that's something that I think would be a valuable 
discussion to have. Uh, there's there's a there's an entertainment lawyer because I don't know that many lawyers who specialize in entertainment law. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's one I follow out of out of uh, New Mexico. I'm, I'm we're connected over on LinkedIn. She she calls herself the redheaded lawyer. Her name is Crystal Delgado. And she spent a number of years and still still does as a musician, as a singer and a recording artist. And she and and as part of that, where she's, you know, she's recording music and she's a singer and performer and all of this and coming up with her own stuff. Um, she went back to law school and now specializes in entertainment law. And and I think that might, yeah, I think I may reach out to her and see if maybe she'd be willing to be, talk to us. I think fun. this is, you know, again, as you dig into this sort of stuff, as you're looking at things, you know, if you, if you go down the internet rabbit hole of trying to figure out why you don't have the new issue of or the next copy of or the next, you know, where is where is the sequel to the book that I love so much? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're you're trying to figure out what it is. When when's the publication date? And you go down that rabbit hole, you can find all kinds of fun, interesting things. And one of the things that you don't always get the detail on is the legal things that actually end up causing the problems behind the scenes. And lawyers are like doctors; they specialize in certain fields. There are lawyers who are generalists, of course. Yeah. But if you're you know an entertainment lawyer, there's a reason that that might be their specialty is because it's complicated. Same thing with copyright law and all these different other subsets of, of the field. You know, the a generalist might be fine to handle, you know, your parking ticket or your divorce or something, but you when you're getting into the, the potentially convoluted rules of, of copyright law, you know, you want to get somebody who's a specialist in that because yeah. it's complicated. <laughs> And right now, there's a whole bunch. This this is something that actually can play out. There's a whole bunch of stuff playing out with copyright law right now that we'll have to circle back around to because some of it could potentially have an impact on on creator-owned properties and and uh, some of the various things uh, things that are currently under copyright that could potentially no longer be under copyright. There's a lot of discussions going on in the copyright world um, because the law gets looked at. Somebody sues, somebody brings something up, somebody looks at the, a law and says, this doesn't make any sense anymore. Yeah. And for good or for ill, because changing the law doesn't always make the law better. <laughs> I see Mazers in the chat. He says, the guy who played Chunk in the Goonies mm-hmm. is an entertainment lawyer today. I remember hearing about that. I was reading an article about... Uh, Star, you know, young stars who grew up to have careers that are completely not the entertainment world. Maybe we invite, maybe we invite more than one entertainment lawyer because you know it never hurts to get a second opinion on this stuff. Oh, right? but see, yeah, that's the great thing is because <laughs> if we, because immediately, you know, two lawyers is called an argument, and, <laughs> and we just sit and lawyer, back and just let them go. And right? lawyers <laughs> will tell you that that's the best part is that well because it does because I mean the, the the cool thing about some of this stuff and we're in a we're, Folks, you, you, you're aware we do digressions here, right? Um, the cool thing about the, the upside and the downside of, of this sort of stuff in the law is that there's still wiggle room for interpretation. Mm-hmm. And, and the law is like that. And so you could actually get two lawyers who are both extremely right and yeah. have be able to have a, a legitimate and hopefully entertaining disagreement mm-hmm. uh, because they're both 
quoting real case law. So, I don't know. Like I said, the, I've, I've mentioned before on the show, one of the few things I actually look at on Twitter is actually uh, the, the legal threads because some of them are just so esoteric and weird. And there's always someone coming along going, right. So I will now translate this into human speak. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, that's amazing. Uh -huh. Well, um, not, to, not to digress too far, uh, but have you seen what Twitter was blowing up about today with regard to Batman? I did, as a matter of fact. Uh, um, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, my, it's my eyes, my eyes, but, you know, I'm but, like. But one of the threads that I saw was really entertaining because the discussion was, okay, not Batman, but how about dot, dot, dot. Mm. And, and, and the fun part was they were backing it up with comic book references to make their argument. And I was like. I cannot read this thread. I have work to do, but this is really funny. And as a comic, as a comic book fan, you know, for <clears throat> four decades, yeah, um, I was like, "Yep, that I, 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 you're making your argument there. I, I know the issue you're talking about. I'm old enough to remember that issue was new, and now I feel old. Thank you so much." Yeah, but you remember you remember the brouhaha when uh, New Fifty Two did that thing with Batman and Catwoman in whatever issue that was. You remember when that blew up, right? You know, none of this stuff pales to the trauma that we underwent with the Killing Joke animated film. Uh, okay, I will take these discussions on Twitter mm. before I ever have to watch that again. Yeah, and get my brain around. Yeah, Bruce Wayne and Barbara Gordon. <laughs> just, uh, just, uh, Not right? Not right. There's, there's a place for that, and uh, we don't, we don't go there. <laughs> you know, the uh. thing is, is you could actually write that story, you could do that story well, and you could make that story work. That's not what they did. Yeah, they did everything about everything they possibly could do to do everything wrong with that story. Yeah. And you got to wonder why they did that. But, yeah, you know, I, I know they, they got to fill time, but, yeah, you know. That's, I, I guarantee you that is 100% the reason it happened was because, huh, we adapted The Killing Joke, which is one issue. Yeah. It's not a short issue, but it's not a long issue. Now we've got uh, we got to make up 30 more minutes of movie. Montage. Investigation. No, investigation montage. You don't, you don't have to make it to 30 minutes. Just do the training, killing joke. Training montage. Short, you know, it's, it's an hour-long movie, and you're yeah. out. Yeah, oh, well. But yeah, go back to the uh, to George R.R. Martin for a minute, because he's been promising and been promising and been promising and been promising. And, oh, he's, you know, it's it's around somewhere, and it's coming, and, and whatnot. Uh, and then, you know, you get these announcements of his new deals with HBO for, uh, what was it, Dumb and Egg or Trump and Egg or whatever that whatever that thing is. Right. And, you know, Wild Stars is still out there somewhere uh, in development. Winds of Winter is never coming. We are never going to see that book on shelves written by George R.R. Oh, R. Martin. Now, okay. if he dies and somebody picks it up, like, like Spider Robinson did for Heinlein, you know, so th this this kind of thing has happened. You know, uh, uh, Anne McCaffrey's son, uh, Todd, has picked up uh, uh, Dragon Riders of Pern. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Martin doesn't have an heir apparent that I'm aware of, does he? He has enough fans in the industry that I'm sure he's, there are people who would want him, who would be volunteers to do that. The thing is, though, you could have someone like Roger Zelazny with his Chronicles of Amber mm-hmm. books, because we were actually, he was actually supposedly, and I'm not sure how much this is actually true or just wishful thinking, but supposedly he was looking at another series of Amber novels. And when he died, one of the things that he said was, no, mm. I don't want someone continuing my series. Yeah. I write the Amber books. It's not a shared universe. It's mine. You can't have it. And um, pretty much, well, despite the fact that there is a market for his books, uh, either he has a really, really good agent, uh, posthumously, who has protected his work. And uh, people like Neil Gaiman have been have been very, very clear because people have brought it up to him. And of course, you know, it's like, Neil, you could pick up their seat. He's like, no, I can't. <laughs> nope. Can't do it. Not, not least of which, not least of which is that you know he uh, feels that he couldn't do the series justice, and I think that that's that's one thing when, when the reason the series doesn't continue when you don't get the final book is because critical critical existence failure. Yeah. Um. There's something to be said, and I know. There's arguments for this. Okay, I mean, I I want I want the finished book too, right? And sometimes you can have someone pick up it's. It wouldn't be the first time it's happened throughout his, the history of publishing. Yeah, Wheel of Time is an example of that. You know, you can yeah. you can pick up somebody can pick up those books and carry them on and do a fantastic job, but you get something like Ian Cofer picking up the Hitchhiker's Guide. For all that you can tell, he put in a lot of work to do that story mm-hmm. and to try and capture the voice of Douglas Adams. He can't. Because he's not Douglas Adams, right? Doug, and and you know, not every some authors it's easier, right? But Douglas Adams had a there's a particular kind of humor. It's like someone trying, somebody just like someone trying to come along and be Monty Python. Now. <laughs> you could you couldn't do it. You could do something like Python, and it might be better than Python, but it wouldn't be the sound and voice of Monty Python. And it's the same right. thing for. And, and, you know, we've, we've talked about the Dune sequels and prequels. However much they, however popular they are, and they're popular and they sell well, they've, they've, they've done well. They're not actually trying to capture Frank Herbert's voice. Right. Because good luck. Well, and I think, you know, you, you, there are there are people who recognize that you're coming in here to do somebody else's material mm-hmm. and you put your own spin on it for, for a little bit of that, but also, you know, you, you recognize it's not going to be the same and you acknowledge it. We're not even going to try to do the same, which is just going to be, this is the new, this is the new iteration of it. Uh, because finding that voice, you're right. Finding that voice is very, very difficult. It was one of the things when I was, when I was an attempting to write, uh, Star Trek scripts back when they had their open submission policy. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was very, very important to me was to get the voices of the characters, right. 
and I as I'm as I'm writing these writing these lines of dialogue, I'm playing it in my head, and I'm hearing, and I'm trying to imagine what it sounds like in the voice of that character, just to see does that fit. You know, mm-hmm. is the pace right? Is the cadence right? Are they using the right kind of vocabulary and stuff? And I had to go back and revise two or three, four different times just to make sure that, you know, you get that just right because each character has their own style and personality and and way they come across. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can write a line for Riker that would never fit Data, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, sure. And I know when uh, when Spider Robinson got asked to finish Heinlein's last book, he's like, "Me? <laughs> Wait, you want me to do this? Are you sure? You know?" And there, there, it is a daunting task. It's you know, there's a great deal of trepidation that comes with that uh, of of finishing things. And I imagine that the people who are doing the Lord of the Rings prequel series over on Amazon. Assuming they care at all about Tolkien's legacy at this point, there there's got to be some people over there that are sitting there going, um, you know, we're using a bunch of stuff that's never seen the light of day. You know, only the most devoted of Tolkien fans would even be aware that this material exists. And now that Christopher is dead, and now that the Tolkien Society seems to have... Uh, I don't know what's going on over there, but then, you know, nobody is involved from the estate, the Tolkien Society, the, you know, their consultant is no longer with them. Who knows what this thing is going to end up looking like? Right. I mean, and, and you worry about those kind of things. And then you sit there and go, do we really need that? Do we, do we really need a Lord of the Rings prequel? I don't think we do. I, I, I fear it's going to end up looking like The Watch. Uh, the BBC mm. adaptation of, of uh, well, no, the BBC, let's take some of the ideas from um, Terry Pratchett's watch series and then do things with them. Yeah. It's an entertaining series. If you've not, if you know, folks, if you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out, especially if you haven't read Terry Pratchett. Uh, because on its own, I, I thought it was an entertaining series. Um, on the other hand, as an adaptation of Pratchett, it's a dumpster fire, right? And and it, and it hurts my soul, but <laughs> but it's it's an entertaining steampunky fantasy series that is not getting a sequel, not getting a second season, from, from my understanding, um, which is you know no great loss. The the Pratchett estate and Pratchett's daughter is working on their own adaptations, and I'm all for it because. At least with them, I'm not concerned about honoring the work. Yeah. And there's something wrong with doing weird and wild new reinterpretations of things. Sometimes it's really worthwhile and, and very entertaining. And so I'm not saying that I'm against that all the time, but we all have those stories that we're like, but I love this. Why are yeah. you touching the thing that I love? Yeah. And again, we come back to the reminder once again, folks. The original thing still exists. Just because the new thing comes along yeah, in a different media, but I in would a different media. See, it doesn't ruin your experience of the of the original thing. Well, just ignore it, the new it, thing and, it, and read the original it, thing. Except, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you to a point on that because, like we've talked about with the Marvel stuff, 
there are going to be people who watch the thing and don't go back to the source material. There are lots of people that that watch the movies, watch the TV shows, and they and and they don't go to the comic books. And and sure, and for sure. them, for them, that's that's what they know about Marvel. But for the ones that do seek out the the books, the the comic books and the graphic novels and whatnot, they come they come up with something different. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. But if your adaptation of the thing is so far removed from the source material that it becomes unrecognizable, then you're not doing justice to the source material. And somebody comes in and I'm looking at and I'm reading this book and I know that there's an adaptation out there. I know there's a movie out there and it just pains me that it's not the book. You know, so it does kind of tarnish your enjoyment of it to a certain degree if only you let if, yourself think about it. I would say only if you let it. Only yeah. if you let it. I saw um, uh, there was, a, I guess, a minor little blow up about um, somebody saying something about the new Masters of the Universe cartoon and, um, and Kevin Smith responding, no, that's not true. I uh, wish you would have had this idea back when we had our story meeting. Um, I thought that was a very clever response. Um, but there are I people was, that are worried about that one though. And you know what? Here's the thing. As much as the, I enjoy the original series, getting worried about it is in my opinion, a waste of time. You know why? Cause remember folks. Okay. 51. <laughs> I was around during the great cartoon wars. You know what those were? There was that period of time when every cartoon on Saturday morning geared at someone my age was there to sell a toy. Yeah. That's all they were there for. They right. were purely 100% mercenary toy selling properties. <laughs> and Master of the Universe was, was exactly one of that. Them. Yes. So, but, quite frankly, but if we, there's a new series, it's going to be a new thing. Yeah. The original series was how long ago? 40 years. So you want you don't want to trust me, folks. You don't want a recreation of those again. You have those. You can find them. You can probably buy them on DVD or watch them on YouTube. I you think, don't want that now. You think no, you do? I know, I know. But, but I think don't. the the concern that I've seen in a in a number of places has been that you know this thing is being presented and pushed and marketed and and promoted as the continuation of the He-Man story and you, you get the official description on Netflix and the artwork doesn't include He-Man at all and makes it all about Tila. And people are wondering, I was like, well, wait a minute, is this going to be a bait and switch? Is this, I mean, we're, we're willing no, to give it a shot. It's not going to be a bait and switch. Well, just, to be fair, you don't know because you're not involved. Kevin Smith is not that dumb. I didn't say he was. And I, I don't and I don't he... know and I don't know one way or the other nor do I care, but <coughs> you know, we have they're getting upset because people like to get upset and guess what? Getting upset sells views. Well, that's I think uh, oh, wait, that could be it, part of it, but it's the other thing a little th mercenary like selling toys. Yeah. Thing. It's maybe maybe we should get more upset about things as we go, maybe. 
well, if we, if we ever want to take time for me to sit there and get angry at people <laughs> saying stupid things online, I have plenty of. Oh, I'm but, sure. I've but, seen a little bit but of it. The thing is, is that it, it's a you know it's something that's that's interestingly enough. We were, I wasn't really thinking about the cartoon series that weren't completed, but you look at something like uh, Thundar the Barbarian. There was oh, a yeah. story arc there. We never got the end of it. Yeah. Um, you know, the Herculoids. Look at some of these old, old, you know, there's a lot of, thank God we're not getting adapta- live action adaptations of some of these things. <laughs> um, although, although, here's a thought in your head. John Carpenter directs Thundar the Barbarian. Oh, now. Post-apocalypse. I mean, there's horror elements there. Yeah. There's, there's body horror in that. I mean, that's, it was a pretty creepy show for its time. I could, I could get behind that. It didn't get more seasons. Yeah. Um, parents in there and going, what are you watching? <laughs> Johnny, get away from that television. Um, well, and you could do, you could do, you know, more Johnny Quest. You could do more uh, Space Ghost. Um well, any of the Hanna Barbera stuff, but um, uh, what was the, all what of was which the all one? which you've gotten caught Ben Ten, yeah, yeah. I mean, so some of this stuff we've got we've gotten the we've gotten the continuation of the story in a different medium, whether it's been uh, the book lines. Of course, Doctor Who is an example that the show got canceled, and trust me, folks, in the late eighties, early nineties, none of us thought it was coming back. Yeah, it was gone. It and, was done. And so, you know, getting these book, getting the books, uh, and the comic book, the comic strips that were still continuing, um, was actually, you know, the best you could hope for. And so, but you know, some of this stuff does get picked up again. Um, you know, uh, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read the first book of that series, and I n- never got into it enough to continue reading it. So. But I know it had a really big fan base. And then he died. But he left really extensive notes. Yeah. So much so that three novels were written out of his notes. Um, and I, I, I can't tell you uh, what fan reaction was to those. I'm guessing with three novels, it was sales-wise, it was good enough. I think so. I think reaction was fairly positive. Who was it? Was it San- somebody named Sanderson who picked those up? Uh, yeah, Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and, and he had at, he has his own followers as well. Right. So you know he's he brings that audience to the to the table. As, right, and I think that Jordan sometimes stuff. you can do that. I think that's one of the reasons why um, you might have been optimistic about Ian Cofer doing another uh, doing a Hitchhiker's book because he brings in that audience as well. But yeah. his audience. His kind of humor is different enough that it just never quite gelled. I think. I, I thought it was. I thought it was an okay book. I mean, it was okay. It, it, it's not terrible. Yeah. It just isn't Douglas Adams. Yeah. Well, and another one. Another one we've been waiting on forever is David Gerald. We are never getting <laughs> this book. Nope. Nope. No, it is uh, uh, the next war against the. Uh, do we pronounce it the Tor? Is that how how we pronounce? This? You know, I've never been sure. I haven't either. And but yeah, the C-H-T- fifth C H T O R R. 
Um, yeah. The last one came out in 1993. And there is one, and I hear there was one that was supposed to be close to publication in 2015. It was called A Method for Madness. And mm-hmm. it's never seen the light of day. And I don't think it ever will. Well, you look at you look at Gordon Dixon's Child series, never getting any. You know the, that 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 series never ended. Yeah. Uh, Melanie Ron <clears throat> had her series going, and then she had real. Uh, that's her um, uh, Exile series, and she started struggling with really serious depression. Yeah. And she set aside the series, and she moved on to other projects. Sometimes they just they just never materialize. And you know what? I think that there's you can look at some of this stuff and and understand the reason. I think sometimes if you understand the reason why the thing didn't continue, it makes it a little bit easier. And sometimes there are things you just want. You're happier are done. Yeah. Um, I think uh, there's a certain Batman series um, that. Uh, Quite frankly, um, I just don't think we needed another anything All-Star Batman series. Uh, All-Star Batman and Robin, All-Star, that whole Batman is a gritty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, And it's like, okay, they were supposed to be, they were supposed to be completed with an All-Star Robin series Mm -hmm. and it never happened. And I'm like, good. Wasn't, was that Frank Miller? It was Frank Miller. All right. It was also Frank Miller, and during during the period that a lot of people were going, Frank, Frank, do we need to call an adult? Well, and Frank, it, are you okay? Another another one like that, another Batman series that some people were happy never never to see the end of it was Tom King's run. Uh, when I never had when a problem did, with Tom King's run. That's well, I, I, I yeah, you might did. not have, but other people did, and and you know when the whole when the whole marriage when the whole wedding thing got spoiled in in, in issue number fifty, and then because he was supposed to get a hundred issues, mm-hmm. his original run was supposed to be a hundred, and they done they 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 popped him out at something like seventy five. And all of that gets to go over here on this, you know, this Batman Catwoman thing. He can go do his thing and somebody else comes in and starts writing Batman because sales were so poor at that point that they had to do something. But well, a lot. Yeah, of, I, think that, I think that's, you know, it's always going to come down to whether or not the, the book is selling. Yeah. And, you know, what, and that's the other thing is that you can enjoy, really enjoy something. And the reason it didn't continue is because you might be like, you know, you're the one of the 25 people who really like the thing. There was uh, D- DC just canceled the Hawkman title, Hawkman solo <laughs> title. And everything that I've seen on that so far has been positive. Everybody liked it. It's a good series. And the people that were making it, the guy, I, I think, I think one of the writers, he actually took the social media and he said, yeah, it was a good run. Sure would have been nice if DC had actually promoted it. <laughs> you know, so, it was like, ouch. But Hawk, Hawk, well, and I think I think that the problem is that DC, DC, DC's memory <laughs> runs deep and shallow. It depends on the subject, right? <laughs> when it comes to Hawkman, 
Hawkman's continuity was such a disastrous train wreck for so long. Yeah. And like the last five, six years, they actually made it all work. It was really clever. It was solid writing. They sat there and went, yes, it's a mess. Here's why. Yeah. And they were your and, and readers sat there and went, goodness, that's very clever. I shall keep reading your book, kind sir. Unfortunately, after having so many years of Hawkman's continuity being such a mess, I can really see somebody at DC going, if this works. And that, that every everything <laughs> every sentence is followed by if this works. Yeah. So I'm not I'm disappointed. I'm not surprised. But it's a shame because it actually was a really, really good series. Because it it leaned into a mess that there was like a 10-year period back in the late 80s. It's Hawkworld's fault. Mm. Tim mm-hmm. Truman's Hawkworld. And quite frankly, Hawkworld was a really cool miniseries. The problem is, is that it was blatantly contradictory. And it was part of the fallout from the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. Where you had a bunch of creators who were like, here, you've got a blank slate. Go forth. And a bunch of other creators were told, your slate isn't quite as blank as you want it to be. Hang on. <laughs> and it messed a few things up. And Hawkman was one of the casualties of that. And yeah. it didn't recover until about five years ago. Well, uh, it was with- uh, Rebirth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Because I mean, I think they 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 planted a lot of seeds uh, prior to Rebirth. Uh, they'd done some fairly clever things. Some of the few things that New Fifty New Fifty Two did not get everything wrong. It's easy to think that it did because there was some of the some of the things it did wrong were really big, but they got a few things right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some of the seeds to correcting Hawkman continuity disaster. Um, happened in New 52. Some of them happened prior to New 52. But really, Rebirth was the chance for them to sit there and go, right, I know how to fix this. <laughs> and somewhere an editor would sit there and going, all right, if it works. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing, too, is if you've got, uh, you know, you've got this idea and it's planned out to the nth degree for, you know, we've got we've got 12 books planned. And suddenly, like with John Carter in the movies, you get an executive changeover. You know, now you have somebody who's different in charge. And I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow through on any of those things. We're just going to broom everything and start all over again. And then now suddenly you have to find a new home for this series if the contract even allows for you to do that, because, you know, say, say Simon and Schuster has locked up all 12 books and they decide they're only going to publish the first six. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you get those other six done? Because if they're tied up, that would be another thing that we could talk to the entertainment lawyers about and say, Hey, what happens when everything goes sideways? Because, you know, there's, there's those things where, uh, you know, and I and I've seen even in a in a couple of places where the writer uh, gets told make a couple of these changes in order to be whatever, and mm-hmm. the writer doesn't want to do it, so the publisher says, "Okay, well, we're not going to publish the book," and the and the author sure. says, "Okay, well, I'll just go publish it myself," 
but there there's got to be some legal wrangling there because if the publisher has already paid paid in advance, for example, you know they've optioned the book, they're getting ready to publish it, they're going to typeset and all of this other stuff. They they go through an expense, and if they decide they're not going to publish it, who who's responsible for that bill? Right. You know, and then and then you've got the audience sitting there going, ah, "I thought we were going to get this." What happened? And, and self-publishing can be a route that some authors can take advantage of, whether it's whether it's novels or audiobooks or comic books or yeah. that. The self-publishing, you know, there's there are folks who can do that and do it well, but not everybody can. And quite frankly, sometimes the expense of doing that um, can be more, and, and not just the dollar, but marketing your own thing and, and doing all that stuff. Uh, Although know, these days authors are expected to do a lot of that already, whether they're they're self-publishing or they're publishing through a through a, a big company, and some of that comes down to the fact that it's very very easy to think that authors make a lot of money when they publish books. No, and the truth of the matter is is that some of them do. Stephen King's paycheck when he turns in a book is always going to be fairly large because his sales are always fairly large. And he's always going to, you know, the publisher's getting a return on their investment, right? Yep. So they're giving him a big check. Most authors don't have that luxury. And it's really easy to not realize that because we don't, uh, you know, it's, there's, an, there's this image in our head that a successful author makes a lot of money. But you, that's not entirely true. <laughs> no. Um, you can get an advance, but a lot of times that, you know, that advance is coming out of your total sales. That's not extra. That's part of. Right. It's a down payment for what they're going to owe you based on how many books you sell. Right. And if for any reason your book doesn't turn out to be a big hit and you get, you get these great news stories about the bidding war for so-and-so's manuscript. Oh, Oh, we get $10 million. And that's great. The problem is, is that that's one person or five people versus thousands and thousands of authors. And there's a reason because I was in the, I was in the retail book world for years. And this is, you know, back in the, in the mid nineties when self-publishing really exploded Mm -hmm. and there were a lot of predatory self-publishing companies. Oh yeah. The, the, the subsidized, the subsidy press type of thing. If you give me $2,000, I'll make sure your book gets published. Yeah. And I'm not going to say they were all bad, and I'm not going to say they were all pyramid schemes, but many, well, no, I'm sorry, Ponzi schemes. That's the right term. (laughs) Um, But some of them were. And and some of them were very, very predatory and very, very unethical. Yeah. And it actually led to a real significant backlash against the self-publishing industry because there was this illusion well part of it was it was sometimes called the vanity press right and there was a reason it it was called that it was part of it was you get to feel good about publishing a book whether it's good or not is is irrelevant well and and what come what came out of that uh, not only was, you know, you're talking about the backlash against a lot of these, you know, pay me and I'll help you publish your book type of operations. 
Uh, but there's a website now that uh, Science Fiction Fantasy Writers of America helps to maintain. It's called Writer Beware. Mm-hmm. And it's a very good resource for that kind of thing oh, yeah. where it's, you know, hey, I got contacted by X and so company. What do you know about it? And they they keep track of uh, complaints and and issues with particular ones. And they've, it's kind of like a Better Business Bureau type of thing for publishing. Sure. And uh, and and uh, and uh, Crispin was one of the ones who who put that together, and she, you know it was one of those the, we need to have resources for authors, especially if they're just starting out, uh, to make sure they're not going to be taken advantage of. And I think it's gotten a little bit better nowadays because you know with so many different other options now, because you've got Create Space over at Amazon, you've got Barnes and Noble's got their their self-publishing type of, of thing. Um, you've got Kickstarter and, and, and Indiegogo and this new one called what Zoop, I think it just came out, started. Um, okay. Uh, that's a, that's a weird goofy name for it, but you, you do you. Hey, um, if, if you remember it, yeah. it sticks in your mind. But no, the, there, I, mean, I, I know authors who are, who are self-publishing, um, and they're supporting themselves through like a Patreon account. Mm-hmm. So, so their day to day, their day to day life, you know, they most of them have a day gig because most, also newsflash folks, most authors do. Uh, <laughs> the big, the big name ones, you know, I might do it, you know, for a living, but a lot yeah. of them have day jobs, and so that enables them to maybe not have to work all the time so that they can write. Um, but it's, it's a supplementary kind of thing that, that it, there's a few authors who I think, uh, um, you know, it's an absolutely fantastic way for them to do it, but getting that big paycheck for an author, it's like, you know, comic book artists don't get paid enough. Comic book writers don't get paid enough. Most novelists don't get paid enough. Yeah. Well, and if George R. R. Martin set up a Patreon, maybe that would spur people on and say, "Hey, you know, here's the money. Finish, finish wins a winner." Or, or, or David Gerald. Or, to do, Dave, well, we are true. we are more likely to get David Gerald to finish the series than George R. R. Martin. <laughs> There's another the one, pa- Patrick of the universe. Yeah, that could that could happen too. Patrick Rothfuss is another one. Um, he's got, there's a book, uh, uh, that he's supposed to be working on called the doors of stone. It's the mm. third book of the King killer chronicle series. And people have been waiting for that for, uh, 10 years now. Well, I mean, you can look over on the comic book side. You can look at some Alan Moore. We mentioned him earlier. He had a, like two or three different comic book series that he started that he just is never going to finish. Yeah. He's done writing comics. I mean, he's done, that's not the world he wants to play in anymore, but you're never going to get like 1963, <clears throat> which was a superhero comic series he had going on for a while. Um, the cross-gen universe, this whole interlocking mm-hmm. universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Science fiction and fantasy and all these different things, and it was held together by this sigil, uh, which was this this you know, recurring image that appears on uh, comic books, the the company, I, I believe the company went out of business. Oh, okay. And I don't think the rights ever got picked up by somebody or, or I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that stands right now. Yeah. Um, but it was a fairly big thing. Battle Chasers, 
was one of the big indie titles um, that, like, I think there was like a handful of issues left in this series. I don't even, I'm not even sure it was an ongoing series, but it went away and everyone was like, and <laughs> nothing. Um, and you know, you, you get into some, some stuff like, um, uh, this, it, well, pretty much anything involved with Epic Marvel's answer to heavy metal. Remember mm. Epic? Oh yeah. I remember Epic. Prestige comic book, uh, magazine. Yeah. Um, and, uh, anything that started in Epic, when it got canceled, it could never, you didn't get picked up. Anywhere, nothing, none of the ongoing stuff in Epic ever got picked up. See, I would love to have the resources, and we've talked about doing a print edition for a very long time, but I would love to be able to do that to print a quarterly magazine that we could that we could sell, and you'd have a book in your hand, and here it is. And you know, we've we've talked about crowdfunding it. We've talked about you know various different iterations of this thing, even even just printing something on the on the mimeograph and stapling it together and mailing it out, you know, do it the old fashioned way. But you know, you, you've got to find the material for one, and then you need to be able to pay the people who, who contribute that material in there. You can't just do it all for free, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we keep talking about doing a print edition and we haven't delivered on it yet. So, you know, who knows? We're, we're just as guilty, I guess. Although nobody's really clamoring for our, product you know nobody's saying hey where's your book where's your where's your magazine they're clamoring unfortunately they're not clamoring or we can hear them that i i would say that would that would be a lovely thought it's a lovely thought (laughs) um yeah well well you know sometimes it just ends up being a weird thing you look at um how many we mentioned kevin smith earlier i mean clerks too happened how long after Clerks won. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, some of this stuff you go back to and you get you get the sequel or you, you hear about the thing for a long, long time and it never happens or finally it does and you're done. Um, but he's got, what, two or three different comic book series that he never finished. He had, like, but several different things he started writing for Marvel and then, like, issue two would come out and six years later issue three would come out. Yeah. Or not at all. Um, so, I mean, well, there's some, there's some, you know, on the, on the crowdfunding side of things, you've still got, you've got some stuff that has never seen the light of day. I mean, B. Clay Moore did something on Kickstarter and I think he's like $21,000 and never delivered a book. And that's been what, eight years now, nine years. Brianna Wu did one eighty eighty $85,000 just kind of disappeared and, she took a trip to Japan, but there's no book. And okay, um, where is it? Yeah, you know, and and stuff is stuff like that happens in the in the video game world too. I mean, we haven't even gotten into into you know. You mentioned vaporware when we were talking about prepping for this. One of the games that I would have liked to have seen was was Star Wars thirteen thirteen. You remember that one? We kept hearing about it, and it was on its way, and it was coming. They even did some some preliminary stuff, and it never materialized. It never happened. And we're like, well, ah. and sometimes you get the thing that was delayed, and you don't want it. 
Yeah, like that's Duke, true. Duke Nukem forever. <laughs> I mean, Duke Nukem, and and that's the, that's kind of an example of be careful what you wish for, mm-hmm. because Duke Nukem was a really popular game when it came out, yeah. but it didn't age well. And in many ways, Duke Nukem Forever is a pretty faithful sequel. The right. problem is, is that 30 years later, that's not what gamers want. Or not enough gamers want. Let me call I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure there are folks who enjoy it because there's mm-hmm. folks who enjoy it, you know, yeah, all kinds of things. Or you have something that changes so much from its original form, Star Citizen. This one had involved lawsuits. <laughs> so Star Citizen was this big, they were like, okay, here's what the game is going to be. And and it was the most popular Kickstarter funded game of its time. Yep. And what eventually came out, and they're still releasing this in parts, I understand. I guess there's like modules to this and but what they promised at the beginning and what was finally delivered along the way, there were like thousands of people who were demanding refunds and the Better Business Bureau was involved and lawsuits were involved. And um, I guess it, it's it's a mess. Yeah. Now, people who stuck with it have got something. It's not a complete wash, but it's not what they were promised at the beginning. Right. And I haven't played it. I can't tell you if it's better. Could be. It could easily be better. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm, I never gave them any money. I yeah. have <laughs> only funded a few things. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of that, um, we went home, we, uh, went home to Dallas over Memorial Day weekend and saw my folks. And, I, for those of you who don't look at our social media that much, go check out our Instagram because I posted that we found it. Uh, my original Atari 2600, complete with all of the controllers mm-hmm. and the games, mm-hmm. which includes E.T., and I, I took uh, Which, it. You know what that means, Jason? That means another episode where <laughs> we, we do a playthrough. Well, I haven't even, I haven't been able to hook it up yet. I haven't had time. I need to do that. But um, then I got to figure. So I'm, I'm cleaning all of this up. Now, assuming that ET still works, of course, I would bet that it's one of the few that are still out there that are in working condition. And they all look like they're in fairly good shape. I mean, you know, covered in dust and what, because they've been sitting in a box at the garage. But everything's intact. And I was like, oh, you know, I just, now all we need is the the little AB switch. And my right. dad my dad looks up and he goes, go, go look in that drawer over there. <laughs> so I open it up, sure enough, and there it is. And it's like, what made you think you to keep this? He's like, oh, I don't know. I just thought we'd need this someday. <laughs> I was like, okay, we do. So we have it. So I've got everything I need. Got the two paddles. Got the got the joysticks. Got the twenty six. Cleaned it all up. I just haven't had a chance to hook it up yet. So there's that. Now, uh, yeah, to- 
Yeah, we got uh, we've got to do that. And and that could be something hopefully maybe we can get it hooked up soon enough we can start using using our Twitch channel for that. Uh Thomas over there in the chat mentioned Star Wars Detours. Uh and that's another one that's kind of just left hanging out there. Right. Uh, yeah, it, you 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 hear about these things, you get excited about them and you just well, get disappointed. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why this stuff happens. Sometimes it can be the studio changes directions in what they're doing. Um, you know, getting Doom, not getting Doom 4 mm. meant you got the modern series of Doom. A lot of fans would say that's a good exchange. Sure. Not getting the next, you know, getting, getting a rebooted Laura Croft series that, has been, you know, I mean, the graphics are fantastic. Gameplay seems to be great. I haven't played it. I can't speak to it. Um, but fans seem to really like it. But it's different than what people are expecting the next thing to be. Sometimes that's okay. Yeah. Um, but you look at some of the stuff like, you know, Half-Life 2. Episode 1, Episode 2, Episode 2, Angs on the Cliffhanger. Episode 3, Never Showed Up. But yeah. Half Life Three did. <laughs> it doesn't finish the story of Half Life Two. There's yeah. a still missing a hole in the story, and people are like, "Where's, where's?" Fine, because you're D- not getting it. It's a you're DLC one of these days. Maybe, and that's you know would be cool. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's, and you have some like I said, like like Duke Nukem Forever. You do finally get the thing, and you're like, "I did not want this." <laughs> I thought I wanted this. Um, you know, what's his name? Um, oh, God. Okay. Uh, I know I have it here somewhere. I can never remember the name of the game and the guy's name. John Romero. Mm. John Romero and Daikatana? Oh. Boy, he... he sell- so, so self-promotion. Self-promotion for this indie stuff can often be extremely important. Yes. And I think part of the problem I have with a lot of the folks who are doing self-promotion for, for comics specifically, but certainly some authors do as well, is they're spending so much time doing self-promotion, they're not actually doing the work. <laughs> and I get, I get the logic behind it. Well, it's a balance. You have to strike a balance between the two. You've got... You, yeah, I think, yeah. I think for a lot of these folks, they're not doing a very good job with the balancing the creative part with the promotion part. But that's opinion, right? Yeah. But... John Romero, he was a marketing machine. He sold this. It's going to be the greatest thing. Your mom's going to love it. Your sister's going to love it. Your dad's going to love it. Your best friend's going to be jealous you have one. You know, it's it's going to be made of candy. I, w- I will deliver it to you on a unicorn. And Maybe together we, we will that. fly off into the universe and you will love this game. We should do some of that. Do you have a unicorn? I got a drawing of a unicorn. I, got, I can draw a unicorn. Let's start. It won't look like a unicorn. It won't be a very good drawing of a unicorn, but I could draw a unicorn. Yeah, so so Romero, Romero was a relentless self-promoter, but he was also apparently, from all accounts, someone who overpromised yeah. and uh, did not deliver and did not actually not know how to do advertising as good as he thought he did or deliver on the product that he promised. And, and of course that just really 
when it finally came out, fan the people sat there and went, "This, yeah, this is the thing." Yeah, well, and I've got some ideas for marketing the channel, but you know, manpower and and time and resources and manpower and you know that kind of thing. So it's it's you know, there's a lot of stuff that sits on the list that just hangs there. Uh, Thomas says he's got his Atari hooked up. We may, we we I need to do that. I need to hook up ours and uh, and get it going over there and see, see if I can works. get it connected to the to the Twitch channel and and we can stream some old fashioned classic classic stuff. All right, so that's going to do it for us. We're we're over our hour. Speaking of some marketing, let's market our other shows tomorrow. We continue live from the bunker. This is our daily talk show Monday through Thursday. And I have no idea what we're going to talk about tomorrow. And then Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central, a new Ranker Pit. We might talk about the Bad Batch, which is what we usually try to end up talking about. But sometimes we end up talking about other things. So that it could go completely off the rails. Um, digressions? Never digressions, happen. yes. I think Matthew Kadish and the guys over at uh, Salty Nerd Podcast are going to join us. And then Saturday morning, we've got all the week's headlines on Good Morning Multiverse. And then this week on Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, TARDIS Sauce with a, dis mm -hmm. a discussion of uh, the latest Doctor Who stuff. And did you see, I think you've seen, uh, the Captain Jack stuff that's been canceled? I have indeed. I have indeed. There's also a new rumor uh, going around that there's going to be two specials next year for Doctor Who, and that's going to, after those specials, Jodie Whittaker's leaving the show. Yeah. Um, but from everything that I can tell so far, this all comes down to someone going, she's not going to be on the doc cover of the Doctor Who annual this year. And everyone and other people going, um, and? <laughs> like that's 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 what makes you think this is really gonna okay whatever guys so i mean we we're still discussing what we're going to talk about we're tempted we're really tempted um i went on i went on traveling the vortex on uh, their last uh, episode yes um and we talked about time lord victorious which is the big overarching series uh, um and there were some really cool Dalek toys that came out of the Time Lord Victoria. I mean, these are like really great looking toys. Yeah. We've been talking for a long time about talking about the history of Doctor Who toys because not all Doctor Who toys were really have great we, looking toys. Have we not done that one yet? We haven't we done have that episode yet. We've not done it. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. We've never actually done the We episode. need to do that. So we might do that one on this one, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. Um, I, I think... Uh, um, I'd love to talk about Time Lord Victorious over on, on our show, mm -hmm. uh, but I'd also like, um, I don't think Macy's at the place where there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, not caught up yet. And and the fact that I had as much time as I did to catch up on it, and I still felt rushed at the end. Um, so, yeah. but yeah, it's it's a big thing. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll have fun talking about stuff. Okay. All right. In the meantime, we will take a look and see if we can get us some entertainment lawyers, and, and we'll plan something like that. And uh, An entire episode of Why Buckaroo Bonsai will never happen. Yeah, right. 
All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much, all of you who were in the chat, those of you who are here uh, with us live. If you are here in replay, you can still leave a comment and share your thoughts. You can always give us an email, h2o at sci-fi-for-me.com if you want to suggest topics. And we'll do this again next week in 272. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.